0: morning, and welcome to The Michael Slate Show. This is The Michael Slate Show, and my name is Sunsara Taylor. I am your guest host. I'm not Michael Slate, but I am so happy to be here with you. And I send my love to Michael, who will be back as soon as he can be. We've got a great show for you. We're going to bring you part two, part two, towards the middle of the hour, part two of a major interview that we began playing part one of last week on the environmental crisis, the environmental emergency, and the truth The truth that is being kept from you, what you are being lied to about, including by many who are environmental activists and environmental leaders, so-called, about Biden's climate bill, his Inflation Reduction Act, which everybody, not everybody, but way too many people are touting as a great uh, environmental action on the environment. And then there are those who are saying, well, it's not everything we need, but at least it's a step. At least it's better than nothing. Raymond Lada breaks this down. That is not true. You are being played. The wool is being pulled over your eyes. We're going to bring you the truth in this, the hard facts, and why we should want to know the truth because there's a way through this. So that'll be part two. That's the bulk of the show in the middle of the hour. Before that, we're going to start by looking at the, the really intensifying dangers uh, going on with this proxy war in Ukraine and the danger of of this spiraling out of control and the threat of nuclear war, which is not just coming from Putin, although it definitely is, but also from Biden and the U.S. imperialist gangsters. So we're going to start out with something on that. Uh, including a piece from Bob Avakian on legit gangsters. We'll follow that by a deeper dive into why we need an actual revolution and how we can really make revolution the opening of a major talk that Bob Avakian gave. Bob Avakian is a revolutionary leader and the architect of the new communism, and he is really a game changer in understanding the dynamics of the world that we are confronting And the means and the methods and the strategy and the vision to see our way and fight our way through this to an emancipated world, the key link in which is to make an actual revolution, to bring this system down and replace it with a new state power. And we're living in a rare time when that is more possible. So it's very important to get into why a revolution is necessary and how it could really be made. So we'll bring you a portion of that talk. And then finally, see, I'm not telling you the show in order, But at the end of the show, we're going to look at the acute situation facing women. This will be brief, but it's important. We're going to look at the beautiful, beautiful, inspiring, courageous outpourings, uprisings happening in Iran and spreading around the world against the uh, death at the hands of the Islamic regime of a young woman, Masa Amini, and the beautiful, courageous outpourings happening, and then the crimes against women here, the assault on women's right to abortion, and a very important day of action and further actions being planned by Rise Up for Abortion Rights here in this country, raising the green, demanding legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide not just sanctuary states and areas on shrinking ground, but every woman, every girl everywhere on this planet should have the right to control her reproduction on demand without apology. And that's what has to be fought for. So that'll be at the tail end of the show. Without anything further, let's dive right into this question of Ukraine. In the last two weeks, the war in Ukraine has moved into a more directly dangerous phase. The Ukrainian army utilizing billions of dollars of U.S. arms, carried out a very successful offensive, taking back hundreds of square miles of land from Russia. The plans for this offensive were reviewed and in significant part changed and finalized by, by the United States, and U.S. advisors played a role in the operations. Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, responded by mobilizing an additional 300,000 Russian reservists. Then, in a major speech, he said that Russia would support referendums that have been initiated by forces loyal to Russia inside the Ukrainian areas that Russia is currently occupying. And these referendums are over whether those areas will be officially stripped away from Ukraine and made part of Russia. Meanwhile, in response to an offensive by the Ukrainians in Kherson, Putin said, quote, if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will of course use all means at our disposal to defend Russia and our
1: people, our
0: not All means implies the possibility of nuclear weapons. For their part, US President Biden and President Zelensky of Ukraine responded at the United Nations on Wednesday. Zelensky demanded just punishment for Russia's crime during the war. Biden accused Russia of extremely significant violations of the UN Charter. All of this is extremely volatile and dangerous for humanity's future. Last April, Babavakian wrote a piece titled Legit Gangsters Gangsters with Nuclear Weapons. The RNL crew here created an illustrated version of this article that sharply poses how we, the people of this country and the people of the world need to understand the difference between the interests of the imperialists and the interests of the people and why we need to get organized for a revolution to sweep a system that threatens nuclear war off the face of this planet. So with that, this is Legit Gangsters by Baba Vakian.
2: Legit Gangsters. Gangsters with nuclear weapons. The events of today, and in particular the events relating to the war in Ukraine, bring back again memories of a friend of mine from back in the day, Billy Carr. Billy got caught up in the life and ended up being killed as a result while he was still in his 20s. But he had a sharp mind, and one time when I described what the imperialists who ruled this country were doing, not just to people here, but all around the world. He captured something essential about this right away. Legit gangsters, he said. Today we hear Biden and other legit gangsters who rule this country and their media mouthpieces chanting a constant chorus about Putin as a war criminal. War crimes.
1: Putin is a war criminal. War crimes. The Major war crimes. Because of the
2: destruction and carnage Russia is responsible for in Ukraine. This is like the biggest mob boss or head of a criminal cartel self-righteously condemning the crimes of a rival but less powerful gangster.
0: You can't do that. Only America can do that.
2: Let us not forget The U.S., a country founded on slavery and genocide, by far holds the record for invasions, coups, and in other ways, violently interfering in countries whose governments it does not like, slaughtering huge numbers of people in the process, far beyond what Russia has done in Ukraine. In short, none of what is going on around Ukraine is about a holy war of democracy versus autocracy that Biden and the rest are constantly proclaiming. The goal of the US imperialists in relation to this war and overall is strengthening and expanding their empire of exploitation and beating back challenges to their domination.
0: Uh, we want to see Russia uh, uh, weakened.
2: The motivation on the part of a U.S., NATO, as well as Russia, is very much that of gangsters. Gangsters who claim legitimacy because they are heads of government, rulers of countries. But these gangsters are not just fighting over turf in a city. The turf they are fighting over is the whole world. And these are gangsters who control powerful arsenals of mass destruction, including nuclear weapons, with the capacity to kill off all of humanity. These legit gangster imperialists commit monstrous crimes on a massive scale, way beyond What someone like Don Corleone, the mob boss in the Godfather movie, could even think about committing. As I said in Basics, these imperialists make the Godfather look like Mary Poppins. What we need is a radical transformation to where revolution, not gangsterism, is setting the tone and the terms. Not just on a block or in a neighborhood, but in this country overall, and ultimately in the world as a whole.
0: That was Bob Avakian, and his piece is called Legit Gangsters. Legit Gangsters, he's talking about Putin, the head of Russia. He's also talking about Biden and the other rulers of the U.S. imperialist United States. Legit Gangsters. The full piece, that's the short version. The full piece is available, a longer exposition there at revcom.us, the website. And I want to remind you that you're listening to The Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host today, standing in for Michael Slate. We're going to stay with Baba Avakian a little bit longer. We're going to go to the opening of a major talk that he gave back in 2018 called Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution. This goes deep into the foundations of this country, the dynamics, the unreformability of it, and it goes into not only why only a revolution can solve this, but how that revolution could be made real. This is such a profound uh, presentation. We're going to bring you the first few minutes of it, and I invite you to dive into it deeper, and you can find it on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash therevcoms. This is Bob Avakian and his 2018 talk, Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution.
1: Join me in welcoming Bob Avakian.
2: Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution This talk will elaborate on and go more deeply into what is set forth in how we can win, how we can really make revolution, a statement from the Revolutionary Communist Party, which provides a crucial guideline that should be taken up and acted on by everyone who hungers for and wants to be part of bringing into being a world without the horrors to which the masses of humanity are continually subjected. In line with that, in speaking here about what we need to be doing, I am not just talking about those of us who are already involved, but all those who need to become part of this revolution. This will consist of two parts. One, only an actual revolution, can bring about the fundamental change that is needed. And two, how we can really make revolution. So let's get right into it. One, only an actual revolution can bring about the fundamental change that is needed. In 2012, in Revolution Nothing Less, I talked about the outrageous murder of Romarly Graham earlier that same year, shot down in his own house in the Bronx by the New York City police. He was only 18 years old. Do I have to tell you what race he was? His mother kept saying, this has to stop. And his father repeated over and over, Why did they kill my son? Why did they kill my son? New York cops then loudly rallied around their fellow pig who murdered Ramarli in cold blood, viciously taunting Ramarli's family and loved ones, demonstrating yet one more time the ugly truth that in the way this country has been built and for the powers that be in this country, The humanity of black people has never counted for anything. They have never been valued as human beings, but only as things to be exploited, oppressed, and repressed. Six years later, and with cold-blooded murders by police, continuing in an unbroken chain, I will say again now what I said then. How many more times does this have to happen? How many more times do the tears and the cries of anguish and anger have to pour forth from the wounded hearts of people? How many more times, when another of these outrageous murders is perpetrated by the police, do we have to hear those words that pour gasoline on the already burning wounds. Justifiable homicide. Justified use of force by police. How many more? Ramarly Graham, Nicholas Hayward Jr., Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Darius Pinex, Oscar Grant, Manuel Diaz, Joel Acevedo, Laquan McDonald, Ayanna Stanley Jones, Sandra Bland, Jack Sun, Rennie Davis. Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Maurice Granton, Harith Augustus, the list goes on and on and on. Thousands and thousands, especially black and Latino and Native American. If this were the only thing wrong with this system, it would be more than enough reason to sweep it off the earth. But this is only part of the intolerable outrages that are continually perpetrated by this system and that cause so much unnecessary suffering for the masses of humanity. So let's go back to why and what it will take to make all the outrages really stop. Why are black people, Latinos, and Native Americans subjected to genocidal persecution mass incarceration, police brutality, and murder? Why is there the patriarchal degradation, dehumanization, and subjugation of all women everywhere, and oppression based on gender or sexual orientation? Why are there wars of empire, armies of occupation, and crimes against humanity? Why is there the demonization, criminalization, and deportations of immigrants and the militarization of the border. Why is the environment of our planet being destroyed? These are what we call the five stops, deep and defining contradictions of this system, with all the destruction and suffering they cause, which must be protested and resisted in a powerful way, with a real determination to stop them but which can only be finally ended by putting an end to this system itself. Why, along with all this, do we live in a world where large parts of humanity live in stark poverty, with 2.3 billion people lacking even rudimentary toilets or latrines, and huge numbers suffering from preventable diseases, with millions of children dying every year from these these diseases and from starvation. While 150 million children in the world are forced to engage in ruthlessly exploited child labor. And the whole world economy rests on a vast network of sweatshops employing large numbers of women who are regularly subjected to sexual harassment and assault. A world where 65 million refugees have been displaced by war, poverty, persecution, and the effects of global warming. Why is this the state of humanity? There is one fundamental reason. The basic nature of the system of capitalism-imperialism that we live under and the way, because of its very nature, It continually perpetrates and perpetuates horror after horror. And in fundamental terms, we have two choices. Either live with all this and condemn future generations to the same, or worse, if they have a future at all, or make revolution.
0: We have two choices, either live with all this, and condemn future generations to the same or worse, if they have a future at all, or make revolution. Now all of us, each one of you listening, all of us, myself and all of us, need to sit with that question. We need to confront that question. and Most importantly, we need to answer that question. What choice are we making? And this has really urgent implications right now. We're living in a rare time, a time when the future holds something truly terrible or something truly emancipating. We are in a rare time when revolution is more possible, but only if it is seized on, if it is acted upon by growing numbers of people digging into the science of revolution and carrying out the strategy for revolution to wrench wrench this society and this world off the course of something truly terrible. We are going to, in our next segment, Uh, hear about one of those five stops Bob Avakian just mentioned, the environmental emergency. But before we do, let me just let you know that what you heard, what I'm following up on here, was the opening of a major talk given by Bob Avakian, revolutionary leader, architect of the new communism back in 2018, called Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really make revolution how it is really possible what's the strategy this full talk and i encourage you to hear the whole thing to watch it to dig into it with others to take it up and apply it this is a way that we could change this world right now in a way that humanity needs so badly and so urgently the whole talk is available at youtube.com slash the revcoms that's the channel of the rnl the revolution nothing less show so we just played the opening portion of it um As I said a moment ago, next we're going to go and take a closer look at the environmental emergency. Before we do that, let me remind you that you're listening to The Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I'm happy to be your guest host today, standing in for Michael. And with that, let me introduce our next segment. Last week, we played part one of a major interview with Raymond Latta, who is the spokesperson for Revolution Books in New York City. He is a political economist, a, a revolutionary communist political economist. He's a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian. And uh, he recently published, or was the main author of a major piece digging into Biden's Inflation Reduction Act that claims to be a climate bill. And he says, the devil is in the big picture and he exposes this. Uh, we did part one of this interview that was run. There's a three-part interview that was done for the r Revolution Nothing Last show conducted by Andy Z, the main host of the show. And so we ran part one last week. It's a very, very gripping interview. We ran part one on this program last week. If you missed it, you can go and find it at youtube.com slash the rev comes or on last week's archives on this show. Um, this week, we're going to play part two. And... Uh, We'll play part three next week. So let's let's go. This will be, first you'll hear Andy Z, and then you'll hear Raymond Lada.
1: Raymond, so uh, last week we ran the first part of our interview where you went into the what you meant by the, the devil the devil is in the big picture about this climate bill, and really brought out what this is all about the the tremendous danger and trajectory of the environmental crisis, the climate crisis, and how this bill does not fix that, does not redress that, but in fact, is sets us on a, a, a very uh, um, dangerous course that even could be existential for the future of our species. So let's get going again, Raymond. There's two overlapping responses to this bill that typify the uh, leading mainstream environmental spokespeople in the organizations, uh, what they've said about this. First is the line that, Well, look, this bill is a start and something is better than nothing. And sometimes some of them will add a point that, look, okay, it's not everything, but once this gets going and there's some progress, then momentum's going to build and there'll be better things to come. And anyway, uh, this might delay some of the most catastrophic impact of accelerating climate change. And as I said, this is the position of a lot of mainstream environmental organizations and progressive democratic politicians. How do you speak to that in the article, and what are your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah. Um, As I said, if it were a genuine start to a green economy, a sustainable economy, then that would be a, um, (laughs) a very positive thing. But what I'm saying is two things. One, this bill perpetuates the dependency of the U.S. economy on fossil fuels. And I've indicated some of the key measures of that. One, uh, that there's no mandate, no requirement, you know, for, um, you know, industry and agriculture and transport to slash emissions. There's no requirement, you know, to shut down uh, power plants and, um, re- that, that run on fossil fuels, coal and natural gas, and to replace them with uh, sustainably energy-driven uh, power generation. And I also indicated, you know, all of what is not captured in the math, if you will, of the promised carbon emissions. I spoke about overseas operations of U.S. um, multinational corporations and, you know, how extensive their carbon emissions are. But that's not counted, you know, in the calculations of uh, how much the U.S. is contributing to the uh, atmospheric pollution. Caused by the use of um, carbon, and let's again talk about the seriousness of this. There is a new study that we quote that indicates that one of five deaths, one of five deaths on this planet, are caused by carbon pollution. And I also spoke about you know how right now the the world is on track to producing twice the amount of emissions that um, you know are beyond. The pale of what is required to avoid reaching this point of a temperature rise of 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit in the temperature scale that we use. I also want to mention here that this bill doesn't in any way address the consumption of oil by the U.S. military, the genocidal U.S. military. The U.S. military is the largest single institutional consumer user of oil in the world. And not only that, it's the single largest institutional emitter of carbon in the world. Now, let's go into the climate bill and see what it has to say about that. Nada. Nothing. The Climate Act provides $369 billion of incentives and subsidies and tax breaks for private corporations to move towards more renewable energy. No mandate, no requirement that they do that. $370 billion over 10 years. Do you know what the U.S. military budget is for next year, for one year? $770 billion. That's twice the amount in one year of what this 10-year plan Budgets for renewable energy. It's a joke. So I want people to really grasp that the wool is being pulled over their eyes on the one hand. They are being lulled to sleep. People that want to see action taken and who are embracing this as at least it's a start. No, it's not a start to a rapid transition to a green economy. It is a perpetuation of a situation where the U.S. is the largest producer of oil and natural gas in the world. It has a military, a genocidal military that enforces its dominance in the world, and people are so desperate for something positive because the bar has been so low for the United States. You know, people should... You know, the the welcome that has been greeted, you know, this is historic, the largest single climate legislation. Well, that's true because they've done nothing. Since 1989, when the climate scientist James Hansen appeared before Congress and laid out the facts and the truth of global warming. Altogether, this evidence represents a very strong case, in my opinion, that the greenhouse effect has been detected. And it is changing our climate now. Was that a wake-up call for U.S. capitalism, imperialism? No, they ignored it. Shortly after he appeared, there was an international treaty signed, the Kyoto Treaty, which was the first global treaty to limit, you know, to not limit, but at least to promise to limit the reduction in carbon emissions. The U.S. couldn't even bring itself to sign that treaty. In 2015, when the Paris Climate Agreement was reached, in the first few days of that conference, Obama lifted controls on the export of oil from the U.S. to other parts of the world. And then a year later, Trump pulls out. And now we're supposed to hail and embrace, you know, this climate law, which, as I said, doesn't come close to acting commensurate with the severity of this crisis. And isn't it interesting, Andy, that at the same time, there's all the hoopla about this Climate Act as like a whole new world awaits us of sustainable energy that Biden and the U.S. imperialists are calling on U.S. oil companies to ramp up oil production, calling on Saudi Arabia a close ally to ramp up oil production because they want to flood the markets with oil in order to wage their proxy war with Russia, their imperialist rival. So this is the nature of the game right now. And for people to be lulled to sleep is really, really unacceptable. As I said, people are welcoming this because the something is better than nothing argument but what I'm demonstrating here is that this something is, A, the continuation of U.S. dependency on fossil fuels. I'd like to talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, and
1: going back to the fact that the accelerating, the accelerating danger and then what you just called the wool over people's eyes and the celebration of something that is
3: actually not going to address the situation. You know, there are people, millions of people... That are so concerned and passionately so about this climate crisis and the role the culpability of u.s imperialism although people don't understand capitalist imperialism they do understand that the united states plays this outside outsized disproportionate role in this and all of these phenomena that i described in the first segment you know what's happening you know, the melting of the Greenland glaciers, what's happening in Pakistan, you know, and, and, and you know, in one third of the country, you know, f- experiencing floods right now. You know, this is all accelerating and for people to somehow see, get solace and comfort in this law, which, as I said, you know, is it's it, it it's it's not just inadequate in terms of what it's doing on the front of sustainable, renewable energy. And again, that's wind, solar power, geothermal, hydro, but principally solar and wind power. It's not in any way affecting the kind of rapid transition to a green economy. And on the other hand, and what I'm emphasizing, is that it is prolonging the dependency of the U.S. economy on oil. And not just its dependency, but here's... The key link its dominance in the world you know through its military through its overseas you know um, um, you know networks of 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 production you know cheap labor super exploited this is when we talk about supply chains we hear that in the news in terms of the pandemic and the disruption, but these supply chains are driven by fossil fuel and 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 all of this. Is part of the picture and the calculation of U.S. imperialism, and I should say that there is, you know, when when we were researching this article, Andy, you know, we were saying, well, is it a total hoax? You know, is it there no? You know, is there no uh, concern for renewable energy in any sense? No, there is a strategic concern about renewable energy, and that is not a concern about, you know, putting the U.S. economy and contributing and collaborating with the people of the world, you know, to confront this crisis and to move off of fossil fuels. But there is, you know, a concern that China, which is an imperialist rival of the United States, has the leg up in solar power. Eighty to eighty five percent of the world solar panels, you know, are accounted for by China. And the U.S. position in the global market for solar panels and all the raw materials that go into it. And let's face reality again, we're talking about 35,000 child miners in the Congo, you know, who are extracting and hauling out, you know, lithium to fuel as part of the raw materials for, you know, electric, for the batteries, for electric vehicles. So the U.S. is putting some attention to developing renewables but not to replace fossil fuels but rather to strengthen a component of the US energy mix so that it can compete on a global scale with China which is now sort of in the front lines of you know solar power and the US is responding to that but this is all proceeding from Maintaining and extending the dominance of U.S. imperialism in the world, not from energy uh, sustainability, but from energy security, geopolitics, geoeconomics, being able to dominate markets. And they are on a collision course with China, as you were saying, a collision course with nature. On the one hand, this is the twofold collision course, a collision course with nature, and then there's a collision course with especially right now, you know, we see three imperialist powers, the United States, Russia, and China, all of whom are using fossil fuels as weapons. And then China is using, you know, sustainable energy, solar, you know, in its bid for economic strength. This is not a world that's coming to grips with, An existential crisis. And in fact, at a time when there should be cooperation and collaboration between the people of the world and governments, there is now disengagement, confrontation. In fact, as I mentioned, the climate talks between China and the United States, the two largest emitters of carbon in the world, collapsed over the summer after Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan in a provocative act. So this is kind of the big picture again, Andy, that we keep returning to. Well, you know, uh,
1: it gets me to the point because all over uh, a progressive press, got this thing, you've got to accentuate the positive, you see. Otherwise, we're going to demoralize the youth. We're going to demoralize people. If we told them the actual truth here, they would be filled with despair. Yet, the how demoralized are people going to be? If they actually have to confront what is coming without being told the actual truth, and the, telling people the scientific truth is a big part of what we bring on the RNL show. It's actually at the center of a of what Bob Avakian has uh, contributed to the scientific approach to society and to revolution. But I'd like you to talk a little bit more about this line of we can't, we don't want to feed despair. Therefore. We're going to accentuate the positive in something that you're saying is not just not good enough,
3: but is actually causing great harm. Yeah, I think what we're talking about is the truth on two fronts, Andy. One is the truth of science, right? What the science is telling us about global warming. And we've explored that in some depth, you know, already. And uh, then there's the truth about the nature of the system, of the society, the economics, the politics you know what is the nature of this capitalist imperialist system and what it is capable of doing and what it is not capable of doing and here is the, you know the you know the cold truth this is a system that's capable of destroying the planet through nuclear war it's a system that is right now put the planet on this course towards environmental devastation but it's not a system that's capable of doing what science is telling us is necessary, urgently necessary, in terms of getting off of fossil fuels, transforming, radically transforming, you know, the economies, the ways in which we live, how we consume, what we consume. And you have people that have two responses. I mean, one is they're looking for any kind of thread And it's threadbare, Andy, any thread of hope, you know, and they want to invest this climate act with, you know, the positive that you're speaking of. And what we've analyzed through the course of our discussions is that this is not a positive. It's not like there's some good things in it and there are some bad things in it. And let's, you know, kind of build up the good. No, this is a coherent imperialist program to maintain U.S dependency on oil, its dominance, you know, in fossil fuels, its strategic relations with fossil fuel partners like Mexico, Canada, and Saudi Arabia. And they are trying to, on that basis, build out, expand some renewable energy. But that is itself seen in the larger framework of imperialist calculations of energy security, of competing with China and dominating and gaining advantage in different markets. So, this is the reality. So you have people that are one, you know, looking for hope where there is none, and two, you have people who have given up, who become hopeless, you know, who despair. And you know, you can kind of understand why people would despair if they saw no basis to act. People who are you know, seeing the the magnitude of this crisis and they see no hope. But there is what Bob Avakian has called hope on a scientific basis, on a scientific foundation.
1: Well, that's where we're going to go next. But I think it's a, you know, just to conclude this part of this thing, uh, you know, they are chaining people to the destruction of the environment and they're chaining people's minds and thinking and actions to the system that is bringing this uh, down on humanity. And that double chain does speak to me of... Um, something uh Bob Avakian said that the politics of the possible is the politics of monstrosity it's always well this is what we can get done and and this will build hope in people then we'll see but actually the opposite is is what's happening it is a monstrosity which is coming
0: that was Andy Z interviewing Raymond Lada Raymond Lada and Andy actually are both spokespeople for the revolution bookstore in New York City Raymond is also the author of a major new article at RevCom.us just dissecting and really demolishing Biden's Inflation Reduction Act and the claim that this does anything, anything positive for the planet and the destructive course that we are on that could ruin the inhabitability, the habitability of this planet for humanity, the climate destruction, which needs to be acted on with tremendous urgency. So that was Raymond uh, speaking, digging into that. That is part two of the interview that we are going to, that we're sharing with you. we aired part one last week. This was part two. Next week, uh, Andy interviews him and they go further into the question of the solution, the real solution, not the phony baloney uh, lullaby to lull you to sleep and calm you down and make you think that it's not so bad while the planet burns, but to jolt you awake Confront the cold, hard truth the way it really is, but also the liberating truth and the pathway out through a real revolution. So that'll be part three next week. You will not want to miss it. Um, Raymond, he just brings so much that we need to hear. So that was Raymond Lotto one more time. You can find the article he was drawing from at revcom.us. And before we move forward, let me remind you that you are listening to The Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I'm your guest host again this week and for a little bit longer. Uh, We're going to stay with Andy just for another minute, a couple minutes here, because he had some important words to say about, uh, provoked by the announcement from Roger Federer that he is retiring from professional tennis. Let's hear from Andy briefly, and I'll come back in a moment.
1: On September 15th, tennis great Roger Federer announces retirement from professional tennis. We want to take this occasion both to acknowledge what Federer brought to the sport of tennis and to sports overall, and we also want to bring to your attention a beautiful piece written by Baba Vakin in June of 2020, which illuminates what is so inspiring in Roger Federer's game, and in so doing, it provides an insight into the depth and the passion of the person, the leadership, and the vision of Baba Vakin and the new communism. This piece is available on our website, revcom.us. The article is titled, Revolution, Roger Federer's Tennis, What Do They Have to Do With Each Other? A lot, actually. Baba Vakim begins the article with this, quote, What is put forward in the title of this article, that Federer's Tennis has a lot to do with revolution, can be understood to be profoundly true. Once there is the necessary appreciation for both Federer's unique, unmatched approach to and performance in tennis and what the revolution I am speaking of is and needs to be all about, what defines Federer's tennis and more than anything sets it apart from even his greatest rivals, more than all of his great accomplishments, playing at the highest level of men's tennis for nearly two decades, from the time he was around 20 to now, when he is approaching 40, is the artistry and beauty of his game. And the revolution I am talking about, a revolution guided by communism in its further development with the new communism that has resulted from decades of work that I have carried out, this revolution, and the radically different society and world that it aims to bring into being, could not do without, and has as one of its main goals and requirements, precisely an appreciation of, and the flowering of beauty and artistry in many different dimensions of human endeavor, end quote. A little further down in the article, B.A. writes that, quote, Federer moves silently, seemingly effortlessly, and the only sound accompanying his strokes is that of the racket meeting and delivering the ball with an incredible consistency to just the spot where he intends it to go. Metaphors that could be invoked to describe this movement, such as comparing it to ballet or other dance, are not, in this case, clichés, but actually come close to capturing the fluidity and beauty of Federer's movement, end quote. I'm not going to read more than this from Bob Avakian's article, but I just want to give you a feel for this piece, with the hope and the expectation that you will go to revcom.us and read it for yourself and see how B.A. Bob Vakin analyzes Roger Federer's game, his artistry, and then connects us to the revolution we need that gives full expression to the need for people to be amazed, to the need for beauty in a society that has moved past the life and spirit crushing of today's world.
0: So finally, before closing out today's show, I want to touch on two things briefly. First, I want to say that my heart is with and your heart should be with and our eyes should be cast to the women rising up in Iran and the men who are outpouring with them against the death at the hands of the Islamic Republic's morality police of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old young woman who was taken into custody for allegedly violating the country's hijab laws, mandatory veil laws, While in custody, it appears she was beaten, struck on the head. She was then sent into a coma. Three days later, she died. And in response to this, a 22-year-old young woman, healthy, full of life, came to visit her family in Tehran, killed by the Islamic regime, the Islamic Republic of Iran. Women have taken to the streets. Men have taken to the streets across Iran and now spreading around the world. And they are tearing off their hijabs, tearing off their forced veils, violating the law and setting them afire and blazing bonfires on campuses towns, uh, and towns, dancing and dumping their veils into these bonfires. And thousands and thousands and thousands and the protests have spread to Turkey, to Europe, all over the world, people standing with them. Uh, it's incredible. It's heroic. It's courageous. I want to say her name one more time, Masa Amini. Masa Amini. They're holding signs. We are all Masa Amini. And they are demanding and chanting down with the Islamic Republic. And again, my heart is with them and we should cast our eyes there. And these are our sisters and brothers. These are our people. But just as we need to make a distinction between the masses of people in Iran and the Islamic regime, which are not one and the same, we also need to say that we, people living in the United States, are not standing with our regime, with our rulers, with the imperialist legit gangsters, Biden and the rest, even as they themselves shed crocodile tears or or make statements of solidarity with the women rising up there, no. The U.S. is continuing to choke Iran through its illegitimate sanctions, crippling their economy, their ability to deliver health care, causing food insecurity, and and actually the dynamic of Islamic fundamentalism and U.S. imperialism have reinforced each other over years and years and strengthening each other even as they oppose each other. So we have to stand with the women rising up against the Islamic Republic, but also against our own rulers. And that brings me to the second thing I want to say before I close out today's show, which is that we need to talk about the crimes being committed against women in this country. On June 24th, let us never forget and never be normalized to, that June 24th of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court, which is packed with Christian fascist fundamentalists and other kinds of fascists every bit as fanatical as the mullahs, in Iran, but with greater power, being the highest court in the most powerful country in the world, eviscerated, shattered women's fundamental right to abortion and declared it is now legal for the state to hijack women's bodies and force them to have children against their will. This is an atrocity. It is barbaric. It is happening here. And 13 states in this country have fully banned abortion. And more are introducing measures around this each day, including at the federal level. And we need to never forget the outrage we felt. You need to never forget the way you felt when you heard that news the anger, the fury, the fear. Perhaps you are one of thousands and thousands and thousands in this country who thought of a grandmother who died from a botched illegal back-alley abortion or a dear friend whose death was shrouded in shame and silence for years and years because there's somehow a view that women are doing something wrong when they control their own reproduction. No. And perhaps not only did you remember these women who died, With sadness, perhaps you also felt the fear and the terror and the worry that this now hangs like a threat over the lives of every girl child in this country, every female in this country, and it has ripple effects around the world. We should never accept and never be normalized to abortion, being criminalized, or even put up for a vote. So I want to let you know that September 28th is an International Day of Action. It was established back in the 90s by women in Latin America, and it has spread around the world. It's an International Day of Action for Safe Abortion. And here it's being taken up by the group Rise Up for Abortion Rights. That's uh, The website is riseupnumber 4 abortionrightsorg um, I am one of the co-initiators of that movement, and Rise Up for Abortion Rights is calling on people to get in the streets on September 28th, to show your opposition to the banning of abortion in this country, to demand legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide and around the world, to raise that slogan, to fight for it, and to raise the green bandana, the symbol, the fierce symbol of the struggle for abortion rights that came out of Latin America that is about going into the streets and taking responsibility to wage the struggle needed to win the right to abortion on demand and without apology. And so I want to read a portion of the call to action from Rise Up for Abortion Rights. I think it hits, cuts to the quick on some things that that many, many, many of you listening right now really need to hear, all of us need to confront. It says, this decision, the Supreme Court overruling of abortion rights is illegitimate. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. This must never be accepted, yet the Democratic Party and mainstream pro-choice leaders adjust to this new normal. Rather than call out the complete illegitimacy of putting women's very lives up for a vote, they echo the fascists on the Supreme Court who insisted that the only practical response to their assault was to vote harder. No, we must face the truth. Voting and working for elections by itself will not stop this assault. For decades, relying on elections has fueled the dynamic where yesterday's outrage becomes today's compromised position and tomorrow's limit of what can be imagined. On top of this, today, the fascist Republicans are rigging elections and preparing for violence if they lose. What we need, what the times urgently demand, vitally and most of all, is a movement of women and everyone who cares about justice in the streets with righteousness and with determination to put things on the line, to turn this whole trajectory around. This is our great responsibility, and we must now rise to this challenge. Legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide and around the world. So that's a portion of the call that is posted at riseupnumber 4 abortionrightsorg That's riseupnumber 4 abortionrightsorg I urge you and encourage you to go visit the website to find actions being planned wherever you are. And if there are not actions there and you want to get some friends together, some people together and plan something, it could be as simple as going in an intersection and raising the green bandana, printing this flyer out from Rise Up for Abortion Rights and Handing it out to cars as they pass, it could go be taking that out to a campus, spreading this among the youth. It could be doing a die-in, wearing bloody pants, symbolizing white pants stained with fake blood, symbolizing the deaths of women who die when abortion is illegal. Um, it could be many other things. There are ideas. It could be protests. It could be marches. It could be speak-outs. It could just be spreading the information. Um, there's all kinds of information on how to organize at that website, riseup4abortionrights.org. If there are not plans where you are and you want to announce plans, you can get them posted on the website and you can get tools there. Um, And for those of you who understand and recognize that it is the system itself, capitalism, imperialism with patriarchy woven into it, that is the root of, the that's given rise to these fascists and, and, and means that we cannot, put an end to patriarchy under this system, then take this up and do it as part of getting organized for revolution. And you can learn more about that at revcom.us as well. So there's a lot there. I want to uh, encourage you to learn more about it. And really, this fight for women from Iran to this country and worldwide and all the different forms that the oppression of women takes, this is one of the most intolerable, unnecessary, outmoded, and, and suffocating criminally violent and suffocating dimensions of living in a world dominated by imperialism. It is one of the reasons we urgently need a revolution, and we need to take up the fight to beat this assault back as we build up the strength to make that revolution. So uh, with that, I think we've made it to the end of the show. The end of the show, the end of the Michael Slate Show, just for this week, not forever. I'll be back next week, I'm happy to say. Uh, I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering in I want to thank Henry Carson for producing. I also want to encourage you to watch the RNL, The Revolution Nothing Less Show, which you can find at youtube.com slash the It's been my great honor to be with you. Again, this is The Michael Slate Show. I've been your guest host, Sansara Taylor. You can find me at at Sansara Taylor on Instagram and Twitter. Finally, remember, the problem is not human nature. It is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible.
2: Ceau, 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 ceau,
1: me dar șahre purcum,